0: most developers are not accounted this is one of the prime reasons that the developers would fail they see profits every two years or so and every time they would make money they need that money to be injected back into the next deal and so because they are not accountant they are not running a profit and loss business they're running a cash business that's the key reason that a lot of people or a lot of developers would fail typically because they're not managing their cash flows properly
1: Welcome to the Help Me Buy Property Podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Leong, and I'd love to introduce you to my co-host, Moxie Reza, to today's episode. And we're going to be talking about something quite controversial. The topic for today's episode is why full-time development is actually a sham. Most.
0: Carefully choose your words, Cheryl.
1: I know. I love development, but I I think this whole notion of everyone needs to be a full-time developer, like really, it's been oversold. So let's dive into it. I know everyone's going to be like, oh my goodness, what was she talking about? Why is it a fraud business? And why everyone needs that, that is looking to transition from Not full-time development into full-time development needs to train carefully.
0: Can I just add there that I actually agree? And uh, of course, you know, we are going to go through all of this. But I actually agree that full-time development is actually very painful, borderline disruptive, and uh, and people would be crazy not to have a proper plan in place, you know, to actually transition into full-time development. But let's take a step back let's try and understand who a full-time developer is, Cheryl.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess, you know, there's so many people out there that are drawn to this sexy notion of being a full-time developer. We have lots of uh, people running education courses and things like that. And, you know, the whole notion is the goal is to break free from work and be be a full-time developer, which sounds amazing, you know, especially if you're, you're thinking you might have deals that make you quarter of a million to half a million to million dollars a year. You're like, oh, I don't need to work for like 10 years if I, I did one project. But the truth is, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think what we would like to do is to break that down to really understand why, like you said, you need a proper plan to go into full-time development. And what does that mean? And what are the considerations that need to be made before you really dive in and, and, and make the leap?
0: And it's important to also understand that when you talk about full-time developments and people entering into this space, of course, the course providers, when they talk about, you know, financial freedom through, you know, property development, it's also important to take a step back and understand that while 90% of the millionaires, billionaires are made by real estate, there are the same number of people who go bankrupt by real estate businesses as well. And so it's not just about the good side, but also the bad side of the development. And that's what we are going to open the doors to for a lot of people who are aspiring to be developers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to premise this by saying that, you know, it's not, this is not around. Waving around scare tactics of saying, no, you can never be a full-time developer, that's not the case. It is more to be able to say, you really need to understand what the the reality is from a day-to-day basis and what are the things that that if you're working towards it, just like anything else, understand what what are the things that you need to put into place. So let's dive into what a full-time developer looks like. Maybe you you can you can go, I'm going to pass the baton
0: note back to you. Sure. Okay. So from my perspective, if you think about a full-time developer or a person who is doing developments, um, they are not only trying to make money or wealth out of property development, but they're also paying living expenses and business expenses out of pro- property development as well. Understand that, you know, simplest property developments, in, and I know people are going to hate me for saying this. An average property development time frame sits somewhere between 12 months to three to four years. Yes, you know, there would be cases where people have done developments in six months, three months, two months, one month contract flips. That's not what an average development looks like. An average development goes as long as 12 months, two, three years, four years, depending on the size of the development. Now, understanding the development business is that most developers would see the money in the end of the deal. They get paid when everyone gets paid, typically, right? And so, what developer or a full-time developer would be doing would be, you know, trying to make money from a day for a day-to-day operations or cash manage through management fees, development charges, etc. All of these things. So while that money is enough to run the operations, that money is not enough to provide for the living expenses for the developers. Now, understand that developers are used to living a flashy life you know, because. You know, they have done well in the past while doing something extra on the side and so they've made half a million dollars or three, four hundred thousand dollars in chunky money, right? And so naturally they think that, okay, if I'm going to make this money at the end of the deal, understanding the human psychology and mindset, right? If I know I'm going to make $20,000 at the end of this week, I'll spend it today. That's human psychology, okay? If I'm going to make a million dollars at the end of the year, I'm going to spend half a million dollars today. Now, money is not in the bank right now, but the spending is there, right? And so you are definitely working towards cash straining yourself as a, uh, as a developer, right? And so I see a lot of big name developers who are typically glorified project managers. And what they're doing is they're using investors' money, they're using other people's money, they're providing using that money to provide management fees for themselves, using that as their own living expenses, business operations, etc not real cash flow, it's project money. And so if project falls, they fall and the business fell, right? Of course you're going to dissect all of this, but that's ultimately the definition of a full-time developer. A full-time developer is a person who's basically not only running the business of development, but also generating a living out of this particular development business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so and typically when people are starting off in development, you often will find the size of the projects and generally they're smaller projects, right? It doesn't really warrant a project management fee. Yes. So, which typically means that you will only get your profits at the very end when it's completed and everything is settled. So, all going well on average and we're saying on average unless, you know, you might be doing renovations and all that, but we're talking about on average, like, you know, if it's 12 to 18 months, then in between, that's if all is going well, comes something like COVID and then, and then delay and build and everything else, that gets blown out to two years, maybe even three years. So in the meantime, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going a, to a, generate a whole lot of profit from this project. That profit is worn down by by the increase in the interest rates, it's one. hour increase in build costs. And then you get to the end of three years and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to live on <laughs> for
0: the for three years? 100%. And understand like, you know, an average person who has a, even a small mortgage in today's time, you know, you need close to about 150 to 200 to live on, right? If you, Even if you have a decent mortgage, right? And I'm talking about a, a family, you know, you know, living a decent life, living an average life, not a high-profile life, right? You need at least one twenty to one fifty, and so if you and you will apply that over twelve two years, you're talking about three hundred thousand dollars, right? And uh, an average project deal size that a small-scale developer would be doing, you know, you would be making somewhere there, right, over a two-year period. You know, you will not be hitting a million-dollar mark or two million-dollar deals as soon as you start doing, pro- you know, property developments, and so. Understand that, you know, as soon as that money comes, it's go- it's gone. Or you would, you would have probably spent it up front anyway, right? So, you know, that cyclical nature of things is quite sort of dangerous. For the sake of the listeners, let's talk about how does developers make money, Cheryl, so that, you know, people are really clear about how does, you know, the the, the profit sharing, the equity share, and all of these, you know...
1: What are some of the ways to actually earn the money? So, oh, there's actually owning the project, running the project, and getting an equity share of the profits at the very end. So that's that's one way of doing it after you pay out your investors and the funders and so on and so forth. Another way is I mentioned very briefly if the, if the project can handle it from a feasibility perspective, often if the developer is the one that's doing the project management, then that actually warrants them charging a project management fee to the project, but you've got to realize that that fee needs to be equitable and fair. It needs to be in accordance, or sometimes a little bit less than what you would be if you were to engage an external project manager. So often when, it, when the projects get to a certain size where a project manager or a development manager is warranted, even when you go for finance, they actually expect to see in your feasibility a figure for project management. Because if poop hits the fan and you know you as the developer get knocked off, they want to make sure that the project actually has enough of a buffer for project management fees. So it's already part of that. Like they said, if it gets up to a decent-sized project that can handle it, there is a project management fee factored into it. So that project management fee accounts for your monthly, you know, the 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 efforts that you put into the project monthly and then you, you draw that out generally as a separate entity, a project management or a development management entity. So that's one way of earning it. Uh, Profits at the end, we talked about project management. What else have I missed there?
0: But I think... Uh, the, The last thing which is quite important and this is not in relation to, you know, developers making money. Yes, equity share, project management, all of this makes sense. But developers are really cheeky as well, right? You know, they'll do the project for the sake of project management fees while providing money to the end, right? So understand the whole concept of being a developer, especially if you're running it as a business. Development is not about just charging a project management fees and giving returns to the investors. It's about also generating a return for your own self because that is what's going to help you scale your prop, you know, property development business. What I see a lot of developers do, and this is twofold: one is that they would put their hand up and say, "Hey, my I have putting in, I'm putting in a, an equity stake into the project for." Three hundred thousand dollars, and then the project management fee is three hundred thousand. You'll be like, wait, what? Wait, you know, what's your stake then? You know, if you're making the project management fees out of the same project, if it's arms-length transaction, yes, it makes sense. But you know, some of these needs to be very clear up front. The second thing that a lot of developers would do is there is they are they're running the project. The project in itself does not have a lot of money, but they would offer handsome returns. You know, you would hear people offering 25% return, 30% return, cash on cash returns from the investors. And so from an investment perspective, it looks really handsome, right? But what a developer is doing, because they are stuck and they want to jump onto the next project, this is a clear red flag that they are having cash flow issues. And so what they're doing is they're letting go of their own profits, their own equity share, they're diluting it by offering bigger chunk of money to an investor so that they can finish the project and jump onto a more profitable deal. You know, that's a clear red flag. I'm not saying that you know there are not projects who deliver these sort of returns, but it's important to understand that, you know, you, they might not be making money on the feasibility for their own sake. They have money on the project management side of things and they would be passing everything else back to the investors so that they can take an exit out of the project. And so it's important to understand You know, developers are making money through various different ways. And as an investor, you would need to be very careful as to how, you know, they've set up the structure. My personal favorite always is that the goals needs to be aligned. And so whatever success looks like for an investor should be what success looks like for a developer. And so the goals are aligned, the outcomes are aligned, then naturally, you know, you would be in a win-win scenario.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd like to then highlight what are then the concerns or not so much concerns that the pitfalls then of doing this full-time and I'd like to highlight two two main things one is cash flow right because once if you're going from say if you worked a a job and then you've moved into full-time development cash flow is the main thing because you're not getting a paycheck every day Unless, you're, unless you're, you're, you structure it in a manner that you're doing the project management, like I said. But the most people, when they're starting out and they're transitioning, generally that's not in place. So you've, you've sort of lost the cash flow there, which means that you need to make sure you've got some other form of cash flow that's, that, that's keeping you going. The second part is if you've had a job as well, apart from cash flow, it's serviceability. So that becomes challenging as well, which again, I'm not the accountant, but generally when you have a -A PAYG role, you've got serviceability, obviously you can structure things in different ways and you've got investments and so on and so forth. But I think those are the two main things you need, then that's why we talk about having a plan because there's ways to address this. However, if you're you're going into thinking, I want to be a full-time developer without considering The the, these two factors you're gonna end up quitting your job, jumping into the development full time because it's the business, my all my dreams have come true, and then a year later, going, Oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to work on the cash flow. And, And it's gonna be that, gonna not impossible, but it's just gonna be more challenging. And look, most developers
0: are not accountants, right? This is one of the prime reasons that the developers would fail, right? You know, they see profits every two years or so. And every time they would make money, they need that money to be injected back into the next deal, right? They can't just put it aside and say, oh, I'm going to use this money for my living expenses or I'm going to go take a trip, right? And so because they are not accountants or they are not running a a profit and loss business, they're running a cash business and so they see money in the bank account and be like oh yeah i have enough money i can do x y and z no not really you know you have you know five different bills that are going to come in and eat away your 75% of the cash flow and so that's the key thing that's the key reason that a lot of people uh, or a lot of developers would fail typically because you know they're not managing their cash flows properly now understanding is that not having cash flow makes them desperate and as we were talking before, makes them desperate to jump into new projects, jump into new deals because that project management is what they're dependent on. So the more projects they get, the more management fees they make typically, right? And that's how they provide for the living expenses or the overheads for the business. And so again, you know, desperation is the killer of the dreams when it comes to property development because Desperation means that you're letting your guard down when you talk about due diligence process and the feasibility side of things because you are getting yourself into self-serving bias. You're trying to make things work where they are not working. As a developer, you should have a no lens, <laughs> a no lens literally, where you should say no to every deal till it's a yes, till it actually makes sense. And so you should find ways for the, for the deal to not work rather than the deal to work. And that's where the desperation basically comes in and kills the deal. Understanding which is also quite important here is the more desperate you become, the more mistakes you make, which means that it's almost like a domino impact. And so you might have five or eight or 10 different projects working. One project fails and all of them fails because, you know, each project's cash flow is dependent on each other. And you're, you're almost cross hedging or cross collateralizing these projects to each other, trying to you know, make this machine work. Again, the plan comes into place and it's important that you have a plan in order to set yourself up that the serviceability is provided for, the holding cost is provided for, your living expenses are provided for, your overheads are provided for outside the property development and whatever property development profits you you get is basically there to inject back to scale your property portfolio business or the property development business.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that like even even in terms of planning your pipeline of projects you're not necessarily going to get all that money and go oh I'm going to spend it all on holidays you've got to be able to 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 work out a strategic plan of well how does that go into new projects or one of the
0: biggest mistakes that I see developers make all the time is they'll acquire a project in anticipation that I'll raise the money and then that money never comes and now they have a project which is midway and we're like, huh, okay, the money is not here and so what do I do? And now, with every passing month, every passing day, every passing week, the, it's the law of diminishing returns applied to you, you know. And so the deal doesn't work on day one, it's definitely not going to work on day 10 and it's definitely not going to work on, you know, day 55 or day 62 once down the track. So, and so you almost dig yourself into a hole because you've picked the wrong project, you're desperate and you've acquired a project thinking that it's working and the money would come in later. And that's how these course providers teach, right? Oh, go take the risk. This is is the craziest story. I was talking to this one person who picked up a two and a half million dollar deal in anticipation that they're going to raise $800,000. I'd be like, I have done 40 projects and I wouldn't even do that. (laughs) Like, That's just crazy. I would take the pledges up front for that 800000 that I'm raising so that I know that this money is going to come in, right? And this is first-time deal, signed on the contract, going through the DA process, 12 months into the deal, they have to settle the $2.5 million debt with the loan and then raise another $800,000. And I'll be like, holy smokes, I would lose my sleep over it. How are you not losing sleep over this?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's... and. That's the part where, like I said, it's, it's a bit scary because you sort of go, you, you're jumping in yeah, with a lot of trust and belief in, in that, that project, but that becomes a real, you need to treat it as a business. Like you really just treat things as, as a business to be able to go, well, and this is another, this, this is a whole new topic on its own. Like full-time development is a business. It's a business where you need to do marketing. You know, how do you attract attract investors and buyers? You've got to market your brand and the project in some way. You've got to put into account like, you know, an operations, you need to have processes in place. You need to have processes and systems and work out like step by step, how does this business work and how do I scale it as well? And if you sort of look at development as a project by project type thing and not look at it as a business on its own then you're going to really struggle from that it's going to always be sort of almost like a side hustle aspect you know what I mean and so there the are a few things here that we really want to stress and I really want to stress is around making sure you've got a strategy to sort of go how do I go from here to here and if it's five years or whichever you know I look at it now and 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 if I had to do it all over again I would have definitely and if anyone says to me you know how do I go to full-time development I'm like if you've got a job or you've got a business make as much money as you can leverage as much serviceability as you can and buy as much sort of high-yielding properties as you can
0: couldn't, couldn't say any better,
1: 100%. And then at least you create that buffer. You've created that buffer of income. When you move to the next level, you're like, you're not sitting there like, going. oh my goodness, I have no income.
0: Yes. Don't replace your income with property development profits. Replace your income with passive income. I think that's the key thing, right? And so that's exactly what everyone does. You know, any successful developer who has buffers in place. You know we have high cash flow positive properties super cash flow positive properties basically and what they are doing is they are providing not only serviceability to the developments in relation to in the holding cost side of things but it also provides you the sleep at night where you don't have to worry about the living expenses and the running expenses because you know that's covered you know one of the strategies that i follow for my own self is you know i acquire these super cash flow positive properties and I place them in a trust in such a way that they are there to hold my development sites, so that I can do developments in the future. And so they become a natural sort of a cross hedge within the strategy, where I have one property that is bringing in, you know, close to forty or fifty thousand dollars in positive cash flow, and one property which is super negative, and both of them combined together in a singular trust basically offset each other, not costing me my lifestyle, right? And so ultimately that's what you need to do that's what you need to plan for you need to actively work towards that in order to making sure that you know this is sustainable one thing that I do want to add here and again I speak to so many people and there was this rationale that was provided to me that oh these course providers they live a financially free life and again you know this is I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Look, of course, you know, self education and self-development and personal development is a big thing and you should definitely do it. There is no harm in doing that. But the question here is that, hey, how do they make money through developments by themselves, right? And so how can they live a financially free life and so we can follow them and do exactly that? Well, hold on a second, take a step back. Their cash flow is selling courses to you. So that's their cash flow. That's their business. They are not bringing cash flow through property developments. They have sorted their cash flow out. So how about you go out and sort out your cash flow, be it PAYG income or sell courses? You know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be the judge here, but ultimately, you know, they have sorted out the cash flow and so should you, you know, you should be preaching what you practice. And that's what I'm a big advocate of all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whether you're selling courses or your, or you, you know, finding properties for people like a buyer's agent, and when, and these are all like you said you can have a whether it's your your payg income from someone employing you or you've got your own business, use those as your cash flow assets, right, and, and or uh, or other investments. Use that, and then you've got developments that 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 complement it as well. And they're incredibly powerful, right? You know, when you've got various streams of income, at the end of the day, you want to, to spread, diversify your risk and spread your risk. So going into development fully, and sounds all very sexy and everything, make sure you have a clear plan and sit down with your accountant and your finance broker and and work out what that plan is. I want to get to this point. I want to be able to purchase these many properties. I want to get to this. Can you come up with a plan for me from a strategic point of view? You know, and I'm not talking about financial planners. I'm talking about a, a finance, finance plan. You know, get clear on that. Um, so the whole point of, of this episode is not to say that you can never do it. It's just that you really need to be aware of the potential pitfalls, be aware of how to, to to plan and strategize and what you can put in place to ensure that it becomes a really great transition. It's a really great move for you as opposed to getting there and then freaking out.
0: And I think you make a really, really important point here. You know, as part of, you know, running our own business, I pay too way too much over attention towards the planning side of things. You know, you need to understand what your true financial position is right now. Extrapolate over 10, 20, 30 years. Understand, work backwards from the passive income that you're trying to achieve, the net wealth that you're trying to achieve, you know, the number of properties that you want, right? The future financial commitments because life changes. You know, you would have a kid, you would get married, you know, you would get separated. I don't know. You would travel, you would buy cars. The private- yes, you know. So, you you plan the future financial commitments as well. Put that into a proper financial model and understand as to how do you get to where you want to get to. As a first-time investor or even as an experienced investor, it takes usually three to four years for you to start doing small-scale developments at scale. You know, it's not just about whole keeping the house at the front and building one at the back. You know, some of these simpler strategies you can do that while you're doing in your own job or you know you're working through. Or there are people who are supporting you know, the or providing these services, you know, business like ours or business like other people's, right? And of course, have a plan within the business in itself. And I think, Cheryl, that's a very important point too. You know, have the processes in place, you know, come and reach out and speak to you. You know, how does this work? What what can I let go and outsource? What can I keep in-house? Reduce the cost, reduce the overheads. I think that's the key in having that commercial acumen when it comes to property development as well. What else should developers do Cheryl in in planning themselves so you've talked about the strategy we have talked about sorting out the cash flow you know through property investment external investments you know property management what else
1: from a personal perspective yeah yeah
0: well they can sell the courses
1: (laughs) they can sell they can sell the courses but we haven't really touched upon I mean we touched on very very briefly about having I think it's really important we, we, we mentioned about understanding your long-term financial goals and how you can grow your own portfolios, right? Your portfolios out of whether it's diversifying risk into long-term buy and hold investments or you might want to do crypto or whatever it might be or share trading or whatever. Like This all comes into play. Like development needs to be a part of that, and it can be a really big part of that. But really, understand strategically from your your portfolio, your risk management, and like leveraging things like you know your self managed super. Use that to you know use that to your advantage. Are you do you have a business that again get right, proper advice around this, but how can you leverage your self-management? Is it the right time to use that as well, depending on the state you are in your life? So that sort of stuff that, that you know, I'm sure we'll get into in other episodes, but it's, it's like I said, it's, it's really looking at that from a holistic point of view, going, what are my long-term plans and where does development as a business sit in that long-term plan?
0: Definitely. And- lastly assess the projects to their own merits right i think that's the key as well a lot of people you know as we mentioned before you know they try to cross subsidize projects you know assess the project on its own don't try just living on the project in project funding or project money that you're going to make make sure that there is enough meat in the deal for you to jump onto the next deal and scale up slowly and gradually you know this is not a get rich quick scheme a lot of a lot of my nervousnesses and anxiety comes into place where its development is pitched as a get rich quick scheme. You do one development and you'll make a million dollars, two million dollars, or hey, look at this! I flipped the contract and made the million dollars, right? A flashy car or or something like that. You know, you know, get away, step away from some of these things and understand the realities. While it's a cool conversation on in a barbecue or when you're going out there into a party and you know it's a cool conversation that hey I'm a developer but the real life of a developer could be very tricky and it can definitely be a sham if you're not planning this well
1: yeah i i personally like to know that there's money that comes in the bank whether it's every every day every week or every month as opposed to just sort of hoping you know, like, fingers thing fingers crossed it settles soon fingers crossed that you know, the builder doesn't go bust. Fingers crossed we sell we sell all our, all our lots, you know? That's you're you're really pegging it on on the success of the project. Which is, you know, I guess it's it's the it's it's also the the challenge and the fun of it as well. But again, if you can create a level of, of, of certainty in your life, it's gonna gonna at least allow you to sleep sleep at night.
0: Definitely. Let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening to us today. Look, I mean, if you are a full-time developer, please jump into the comments and and, and sh- share your story. How did you transition from, you know, buy and hold to buy and develop? You know, what were the pain points that you faced? You know, let's share that story. And if you want to reach out and come on the podcast and join us on this conversation, look, you know, ping me or Cheryl or join our, you know, online communities, Property Development Australia, Property Investment Australia. This is a topic that is very close to the heart. So any questions, any comments, any feedbacks, please pass it along. Thank you for listening to us. Take care, stay safe, keep smiling. This is Sherilyn Moss checking out.
1: Ciao, everyone. Bye.